Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. All right, well, good morning. If you're visiting with us, it is our pattern to work our way through books of the Bible. We make attempts at preaching expositionally, that is the word uh, that we use. This morning, we're going to be doing that uh, from John chapter 8. So look with me at John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. There, John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that again Jesus spoke to them, the crowds, Pharisees that were present among them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin." Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe... That I am He. (laughs) You will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. 
but He who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from Him. They did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. So, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word. It is living and it is active. And we pray that by Your grace and for Your glory, You would make the book to live in us now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. (laughs) So, when I go to bed at night, I have a sleep setting, and that sleep setting is dark. As in, I don't want to see my hand crossing in front of my face dark. Like, give me the night. (laughs) But, as God has a sense of humor, uh, we have a street lamp just outside of our bedroom window that I think it might qualify to be as bright as the transfigured Jesus. Uh, I've lived in Manhattan, and uh, I have slept under the luminous top of the Chrysler building. I think it was bright as the noonday sun on my face every night, and that top of that building has nothing on the street lamp here in Clemson. And as I despise uh, putting things on my face to cover my eyes, why not some blackout curtains? No, we have to have sheer curtains, white sheer curtains because they're prettier and also somehow seem to catch the outside light and just magnify it all within the room, right? God love my wife, who can sleep peacefully on a rock in the desert at high noon with rattlers rattling all around her. Some of us are truly blessed of God, but in this regard, I'm not one of them. And so I've deeply resented that sleep-stealing light. However, recently, uh, some guys came out to work on the electrical box in our backyard. And I don't know what they did to that box. Honestly, I don't. Wink, wink. But they happened to put out the light. And it's glorious. I tell Jenny about it pretty much every night. Right? What a radiant darkness. Never mind the bumps and the bruises and the burglars, the light might spare us. Isn't this darkness wonderful? Isn't it preferable? Isn't it worth preserving even to death? 
It's all levity until we bring it to the soul. Uh, Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus said, this is the judgment. You may remember this. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness. Rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Beloved, apart from Jesus, the night about us depicts the night within us. We come into the world hating the light because it shows us what we really are and what we really do and what we really need, which is that light of the world within us. So, is Jesus in you this morning? If so, let's bless the Lord. Let's also not be afraid to ask then, just how brightly, just how brightly is He in us? How brightly are we reflecting Him in the world? Let's head that way by first considering Jesus as the light of the world. If you look at verse 12, He says there, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's important to see that what he says, he says in response to the guided darkness of the crowds. Remember from a week ago, is he the prophet? Is he the Christ, they ask? Oh no, the leaders say, you don't know your Bibles. You don't know your Bibles. He's clearly neither one of those things, prophet or Christ. You need to just lay that aside and leave this matter to us. And oh, by the way, Nicodemus, we know that you're one of us, but if you could just sort of sit over there in the corner and just be quiet. Guided darkness and darkness guiding. It's into that to overcome it that Jesus speaks here. Is He the prophet and Christ? Or what? The answer comes from Him, yes, but here's how I'll put it for you. I am the light of the world. And if we have ears to hear that, Jesus has actually said, I'll see your prophet, and I'll see your Christ, and I'll raise you deity. I am the light of the world. He's more than a prophet. He is the divine word. He is the Christ, and the Christ is God the Son. Right? So speaking of light with a capital L, Jesus, as we know from Hebrews, is the radiance of the glory of God. What it means in the first place for Jesus to be the light of the world is that God uniquely shines forth in Christ. In the Son, the Father comes clear. In the night of this world and for the night within our own hearts, Jesus is this singular lamp of God. There is no other divine luminary. There is no other light of the world, hence light of the world. 
The implication is twofold and all critical. For one, the world is dark. That's what Jesus is saying. Its inhabitants are from birth, be careful here, spiritually blind. We don't know God. We repudiate the truth. We love the sin that so destroys us. We need the light of the world. Ergo, that light is not to be found within us. We are no hope for ourselves in this. I, I mean, I, I know we may think that we are, right? that we may think we're really smart, but what Jesus is talking about as light is more than smarts. We may think we all have this sort of innate spark, and yet when we boast of enlightenment, the boast always ends up preaching away with God. Well, that is not this. That spark is very dark. But still, we might think if we just gather up a little opinion, if we just gather up a little religion, if we just gather up a little bit of intellect from all over the world, if we just pool our resources together, surely we can erect a new Tower of Babel. And in our name, and by our power, and for our glory, we can see the light. We can discover the truth. We can save ourselves. No, Jesus says. We cannot. Sin has put that out of reach. Impossibly for us. Impossibly. Out of reach. But, he says, there's good news. You needn't do all that anyway. The light of the world has come into the world. And I am He. The only thing you need to do is follow me. It's a bold statement. A really bold statement. If you would truly know God, you must truly believe in Jesus. There's no way around Jesus to be saved. There's no relationship with the Father except through faith in the Son. There's no walking in the light. There's no walking in the truth. There's no walking with God, except in a walk with Christ. And so there is an essential action that's attached here to this bold announcement. I am the light of the world. So what? Here's what. You all must follow me if you would have the light of life. Except in verse 12, Jesus makes it a bit more invitational because He's Jesus. He says this, Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. It's almost like saying, come on! Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will, here's a promise, have the light of life. Friends, do you recall what it was like to walk in darkness. Because whether you're a Christian or not, Jesus implies we all used to walk in darkness. Do you recall living without ever a thought of Jesus? 
all that God stuff. How silly. Just going with the lifeless. It takes life to go against the grain, right? To swim upstream against the current. But do you remember just being dead and just going right along with the world? Doing your own thing, maybe thinking, no one will ever know what I have done. And if anyone does, I've got my lies, I've got my excuses, I've got my self-justifying charade all memorized, queued up, and ready to cover all the sins that I actually know I can never cover up. But come on, heart. Shake it off. We can't afford to dwell there. It's time to live it up while I have life to Live, and so you abided in death. You pulled the shades to put out the light and to walk in darkness. I'll tell you, that's no way to live. If you want to live truly and eternally with the God of your life. And the call is here to believers as well as unbelievers. And to the latter, here's the invite to come. The invite to come and to live in the light. You think you're safe in the dark, but the dark is as light to God. You can read Psalm 139. So I know it's against your nature, against that old nature, that Adamic nature. Caroline, that's just for you. Sorry, that's an inside joke. But salvation is in the light. Salvation is in being exposed. The very thing we don't want to be. It's in coming to Christ who alone can cover you. And to us, dear ones, though we'll circle back to it at the end, as we have the light of life, let's be sure that we really are walking in it. Aren't you now alive to God? Aren't we now alighted by Jesus? Then why would we ever tiptoe around in the dark? As we do love the truth, why would we ever live a lie? Why instead would we not be dead set on being sincere people, honest souls, open hearts, repentant people, godly saints, public for Jesus in the world? That is life. That, in great measure, is following the light of the world. So again, how brightly are we reflecting Him today? All right. Jesus is the light of the world. But what we see in the text, in His dialogue with these Pharisees, with those who find it very doubtful, that he is the light of the world is a payoff. It's a deeper dive into their spiritual darkness and thus a deeper dive into the light the whole world really does need. So let's come to see the light of the world addressing manifest darkness in people, picking up in verse 13. You see, it's the Pharisees leading the way. I thought uh, George's point 
about, uh, about them a week ago was, was right on point, that the Pharisees are blind guides. They are blind guides. They think that they see, but in that thought, insofar as that runs contrary to Jesus as the Christ, they only really prove that they see nothing at all the way that God wants them to. What I want to say to us then, like George did a week ago, is that we need to be really careful that we do not entrust our souls to teachers, to guides, to people like that. At any rate here, what we see is they take issue with his testimony. I am the light of the world. They say it's his testimony alone, and therefore it is what? It's invalid. It's, it's not true. It won't hold up in their court. And the irony is thicker there than thickest darkness. Though the idea is clear enough. It's about the truth of Jesus' testimony. The truth of Jesus' word. And so all that follows in verses 14 to 18 is really the defense that Jesus gives about the truth. It's the light of Christ refuting their darkened assertion. They're essentially saying, you are not true Jesus. You're, you're not the light of the world. You're a liar from Galilee. And friend, I want to say, you've got to decide right there. He either is or he is not. And eternal life or death hinges upon that decision. And so Jesus answers in verse 14, you don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I am bearing witness about myself, but that does not invalidate my witness because my witness is never mine alone. Every time I speak, verse 18, the Father also is speaking. And this would all take care of itself if you only knew who I was. But you don't. And that is the whole problem. You have not been taught, remember John 6.45? You have not been taught by God. You've not been born again. That's the problem. Look at me at verse 14. You see there again how Jesus establishes the truth of His Word, is that He knows who He is. He knows where He came from, and He knows where He's going. That is, Jesus knows He is the Son of God. I know where I came from. And He knows I am the Savior. I know where I'm going. Son and Savior. God and Christ. Jesus knows this. And therefore, his witness is never just one person. It is always, so far, for the most part, at least two in one. We know as we go along in John's Gospel, it's going to become three in one. Here's two, right? Jesus is the Word of God. He's clear on who he is. It's just that his opponents, darkened as they are in their hearts, cannot accept it. Everything in them is predisposed to resisting the light of His Word. Can we please get some guys to work on the electrical box?
This is what Jesus explains at the end of verse 14 and onward. He knows who he is. They have no clue who he is. But they don't have a, their problem is not that he's being unclear. It's that they are unconverted. It's not about their brains. It's about their hearts. It's about what happened a long time ago back in the garden. They are, Jesus says, just what? Flesh. And therefore, they inevitably and invariably judge everything the way that sin does. Not the Spirit. Especially Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7? Or what Jesus said to his deserting disciples back in John 6, 33? I'll tell you. That which is flesh is what? Flesh. But that which is spirit, capital S, spirit is spirit. Do not marvel then that I said to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help. At all. Jesus said that. Knowing Christ is a divine grace involving the spiritual resurrection of our souls, the new birth, without which we cannot discern the truth about Him. So, darkened hearts are manifest in the unwillingness and inability to judge of anything, really, the way that God would have us judge them. Here, it's to call the Lord a liar. It's to have a Bible, but hate the Word. Think on that. It's to be invited as a sinner to the Savior only to band-aid the ever-unsteady ground of self-righteousness. Well, at least I am way better than that dreadful sinner over there. Far be him from me. No, you are him. And you need the grace of Jesus. You need to take Jesus at His word. Talk about ironic. In judging Jesus, they judge themselves. Thinking to condemn Him in their court, they enter His court and they're exposed. The guardians of the law refuse to believe the very one who gave it. Your law says the testimony of two men or two people establishes the truth. What then, guys? of the testimony of the Divine Son who only says what the Father says. You guys would be a riot if you weren't so tragically wrong-hearted. It's a thing of pure grace to us, dear ones. 
that Jesus doesn't judge anyone as the Pharisees do. That judging all as God does, which is to say perfectly and truly, He still came to save sinners and persisted in it all the way to and through the cross, across the board, even for the chief of sinners, and therefore, anyone else who wants to come. What a brilliant brand of patience. I'd have us recall, this is not new information that he's sharing with them. He's flipping your Bible back a page. This is John 5 all over again. They know the deal. He's told them before. He has evidence from John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's not me. It's Him. He has His works. He's doing all over the place. He has the very voice of the Father. This is my Son. He has the whole Bible testifying to who He is. Church, let's be mindful. Spiritual darkness. Uh, and I, I understand, listen, we all should be sharing the gospel, but I know there, there are some of you in here who share the gospel regularly, for which I just bless the Lord. So hear, hear this. Spiritual darkness often manifests like a hamster wheel. Lots of activity, no advance. Sin wants the truth to be proven over and over. You guys have experienced this, right? And over and over again. Even Jesus experienced that. He is, he's shared and he's, he's taught and he's done and he's done it over and over again. And yet here we are, John 8 now, again. And that's the way it's going to be until the lights are turned on their hearts. And so the call is to grace. The call is to patience. The call is to prayer. The call is to persistence. That's the way the light of the world seeks to establish the truth against manifest darkness in people. And perhaps we'll be helped in this by reconsidering our main problem as people, which is blind unbelief. And this is where it does get a little heavy for us, okay? If it wasn't already, now we're really going to get there. In other words, it's easy to become irritated and short with unbelievers if we think their problem is purely intellectual. Something they can figure out. If we think, come on now, this makes total sense, right? Which it does. But they don't know that. Now, when I say that, I don't mean they can't make sense of the information. They often make perfect sense of it. They get exactly what Jesus is saying. That's the problem. Their ignorance is not due to lack of information. It's not due to lack of ability to compute that information. What I mean is, they have no will. They have no desire to make a 
divine use of the truth to the saving of their souls. That's what I mean. They exist in the dark of spiritual death. So here, verse 19 and onward, Jesus sheds light on this really awful state of existence. We see in hearing Him on the Father, they ask, akin to Philip, remember Philip, we're going to get to him eventually, sometime, a couple years, I don't know, John 14. Where is your Father? And our task is to observe the blindness in that question. Why? Because to be in the presence of the Son, Jesus, is in effect to be in the presence also of the Father. They see Jesus. They hear Jesus. They've been party to His ministry, and yet they can never arrive at the truth about Him. They discern no more about Jesus than that He is an imposter, a threat to their place, their position, their power, their authority, their privilege. They can discern no more, that is, than sin will allow them. And so Jesus says, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. It is a ringing statement and a stinging indictment. These Jewish leaders don't know God. As is evident in their ignorance of Jesus, the man from Nazareth. (laughs) Now, we need to hear this. They knew a lot about God, right? They knew a lot about God. But, But knowing about God and knowing God are not the same thing. Ideally, they will intersect. But you can affirm God's attributes. You can call Him holy, just, and good. You can engage in ministry, apparently, that bears His name. You can appear to serve His people. You can wake up every morning and recite the Shema. You can teach several rounds of none like Him. You can know a lot about God and not know God. Here's the question. Do you love Jesus? That is the question. Do you walk With Jesus? Do you yearn for readier, steadier, deeper, sweeter, better fellowship with the light of the world? Do we cling to His gospel? Do we abide in His word? Do we value His people? Do we treasure 
Jesus. We just did that in prayer and word right before service. That's what we're talking about. Do we treasure Jesus? If so, then you know God. But if not, if not, we at least need to be warned about the vital difference between religious appearance and spiritual application. Again, the Pharisees had Bibles. They did not have Christ. They tapped about the Scriptures like blind men. Reading and studying and learning and writing and preaching, but never perceiving. Never knowing. Never truly believing in God or His Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. And as one might expect, this indictment to sort of ricochet in swift recompense. John calmly notes, verse 20, God's control over the entire encounter. <laughs> the treasure, Jesus has publicly spoken against the leaders in the treasury. There he is for the taking, for the arresting. But his hour, it says, had not yet come. <laughs> so they could not lay one finger on him until the time for his dying, his death, had come. And it's in knowing this protection then that he's, it seems like he's emboldened a little bit to press even further into them. Look at verse 21. See the connection. It says, so, because of this, his hour had not yet come, so he said to them again. So he's got more to say. I just want to say to us, trust in God's providence with a will to bear hug the cross will embolden us to press on and to go again and again and again if only darkened souls might be alighted. Even if need be to, to pierce them through, to sort of poke holes, right, in the, the darkness. And so our Lord keeps at it. He says there, listen, guys, I'm going away. I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, that is not at all what I expected Jesus to say. I expected, you will seek me, and what? You will find me. And it will be glorious. And we will be together forever. Right? Okay. That's not what he says. He says, listen. In essence, I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to go through the cross. And you're going to seek me. And you will die in your sin. And as it were... Spend an eternity in what the Bible calls hell. You'll be cut off from where I am. You can't get there. 
Uh, doubtless, these are some of the most terrible but necessary words of Jesus. They are light. <laughs> and they are love. Let's be clear on this. If there is such a thing as sin, and if there is such a thing as hell, and if there is such a Savior as Jesus, and there is, it is most unloving to avoid or even cushion this kind of straight soul talk. Friends, no one should ever hear these words from Jesus without being just overwhelmed by them. Struck by them. To die in your sin is to die outside of Christ. It's to die having passed on the gospel. How many, I wonder, are going to pass into that world and see how many times Christ was held out to them? No. No, no, no. Are you kidding me? Close the blinds. To die in your sin is to die graceless. Is to die without full atonement for our sins. Is to die without any covering before the Holy justice of the eternal God, it is to die as an heir of hell. This is the emphasis of Jesus. Jesus preached on sin, death, and hell because these things are real. And the reality of that God-forsaken chain is only further proven, you see, by their response to it. They focus on the enigmatic things that he's said in a statement. They completely avoid the very plain thing that he just told them. They debate about the manner of his death, which they're going to have their own hand in, as you know, while entirely dismissing the fact and condemning feature of their own death. Talk about spiritual darkness. At the core of it is this. Ignorance of the Savior's death and ignorance of sin and death. They know nothing of the one and seek always to avoid thinking about, much less ever admitting, the other. This is unbelief. And it's native to us all. That's why we have to be born again. That's why he says in verses 23 and 24, if you look there, you're from below. Where's Jesus from? I'm from above. You're of the world. I am, I'm not of this world. I told you, you would die in your sins because unless you what? Here it is. Unless you believe. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So just hear it. For all of the difficulty in what He's just said, for all of the hardness of the things he's just said. His aim, at the end of the day, is actually gentle, light, and saving. He's just given them an out. Did you hear it? 
He's just given them a way of escape. What is it? Faith in Jesus as the divine Messiah. That right there, listen, we're all getting sleepy now. Listen, that is a heavenly bolt of light into our hellish darkness. Wake up! This is unbelievable. There's a way. And it's faith in Christ. That's unbelievable. If he doesn't say it in the text. Christ came down into this world to save sinners, to reconcile his enemies to God, to be the light of life that we might not die in our sins. So, what is the only thing that prevents us from being saved? Just our unbelief. You may have noticed how in verse 21, Jesus says they'll die in their sin, singular. Whereas in verse 24, it's sins, plural, twice. It seems that sin, singular, that'll yank people into another world with all their sins, plural, upon them, that sin is unbelief. It's the refusal to believe the truth about Jesus, standing as he does always to save them. To borrow from Jesus in one of the other Gospels, unbelief is sort of like the noose attached around the neck of the soul with the millstone of our sins on the other end. There is no dropping that into the sea of death, but that that weight and that knot work together to pull folks to the depths of everlasting judgment. If only one could slip off the noose. If only there was someone who could untie the knot. So alas, Jesus has a little more light to shed. It appears they understand quite well what Jesus has just said. How he, as God, is the object of saving faith. How he alone can deliver them from their sins, bridge them to God. That's why they say, verse 25, listen, who do you think you are? Who are you? That's been their question the whole time. Jesus has never withheld the answer. It's just again, are you born again or not? And I believe it's to that end that Jesus takes them to the cross. That is God's solution to the problem of human unbelief. Jesus tells them, verse 26, that between then and there, God has much to say, much to judge, much to reveal by Him to them and to all the world. But as they still fumbled about in the dark to make sense of the words there in verse 26, it's like he says, okay, that's enough. Let's turn the light up to its highest setting. Okay? Let's go full on. I am He. And that's what we get in verses 28 and 29. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's the cross. Then 
you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. He's going to. He has not yet. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. He's the righteous one. You ready for this? Dear ones, listen. What Jesus just said is that His crucifixion, His condemnation by these Jewish leaders, His being accursed by God on that God-forsaken tree will be the climactic revelation of God. That's what He just said. It's going to be that climactic revelation that He is God. That He is the divine Christ. That He is the Savior of sinners. The cross is not that He was a sinner. It was not that He sinned. It was not that God had rejected Him. It was not a Paul cast over the light of the Son of God. The cross, we need to hear, was not light canceling. The cross is where God in Christ comes into sharpest focus. This afternoon, homework. I know you guys love homework since you just got through with school and all this kind of thing. Go back to Exodus 34. Particularly verses 6 and 7. And riddle me this. Moses there. You remember this? Show me your glory. (laughs) I want to see your glory, God. And God says, okay, I'll show you my back, not my face. Go get in the rock. So Moses gets in the rock. And God passes by. Very famous passage. He passes by and he preaches. The Lord, can you imagine? The Lord himself preaches to Moses. Ready for this? I am a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Here it is. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And you hear that and you go, what? I forgive the guilty, and I will not forgive the guilty. Well, that's really strange. No, you know what that is? That is the radiant glory of God. That is the mystery of the revelation of who God is. You figure that out, you have seen the face of God. So what's the answer? Christ crucified. It's the righteous one coming to us, taking our weighted noose from off of our neck, tying it around his neck, And being tossed willingly into the sea of God's wrath that was formerly reserved for us. It's Jesus making 
full atonement? Can it be? Yes, for our sins. It's Christ being God forsaken and dying our death, the death that we deserve to qualify any who believe for eternal life. So God comes into focus in Jesus and Jesus comes into focus at the cross. When I'm lifted up, then you will know I am He. I am the He that you need to believe in. It's in that darkest hour that the light of the world was given to shine most brightly. There God is vindicated as Savior and Judge. There Scripture is proven to be the Word of God indeed. There is bought the salvation of His people, including that new birth. There, Jesus is most radiantly He. This is how the light of the world addresses manifest darkness in people. My word is truth. Your problem is unbelief. God's solution is my cross. If we won't see Him there, we won't see Him anywhere. And so may, may it just pierce the darkness even now. Quickly then, verse 30, John tells us, many did believe in Him as they heard these things. And we'll be asking again, as the chapter does, is that faith real? I hate to always put that damper on things, but like, that's just what John does. Is that faith real? That's the cliffhanger for next week. Please come back. But I do want to say about it, friend, perhaps you've never made much of Jesus. You've never made heads or tails of Him. For your own part, you've preferred your sins over repentance and faith. And that's the way you thought you'd like to keep it, but now you've heard all of these things. You've heard about sin and death and hell and of the way of salvation by Christ. And maybe, just maybe, we can pray, right? The darkness is lifting. And the light is overcoming. Maybe you're wanting to believe that Jesus really is who He says He is for you. Believe us. We'd love nothing more than to carry that conversation to a close with Christ. And even now I'll ask it, won't you believe in Him? You do that. He's made a promise in the text. You will have the light of life. And beloved, as we do have it, as we have Jesus, how brightly are we reflecting Him to the world? Let me take us back to the lamp. <laughs> Speaking of lamps, Jesus, remember, once called John the Baptist, a burning and shining lamp. Can He say that about you and me? Are we being even annoyingly visible for Jesus? Like that street lamp. Is there any part of our lives that we 
we need to bring into the light. Or to shift gears. Is there any issue, any opportunity, any soul into which we can shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life? Church, we'll take this to prayer. Is it clear that we're following the light of the world? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. By your mercy, by your power, may we feel the full weight and glory and grace of it. We ask this in Jesus' name.